This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Matthew chapter 26 this morning, 26, the second part of 26. We covered the first part of 26 last week, and Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 31, I believe is where we are. Probably one of the most frequently referenced portions of the gospel for me personally, and you might think that I do, I do talk about this portion of Scripture a lot, even while I'm going through other portions of Scripture, because uh, it really shows the humanity of Jesus Christ. And this is important. All the gospels, they kind of have a different perspective of who Jesus is through. And Matthew's gospel, if any of you have studied through Matthew or you've been with us for the last year or so, what's the emphasis, um, the title that's given to Jesus in the gospel of Matthew that's repeated over and over and over and over and over again? Son of man, son of man, focusing on Jesus's humanity. He was divine. He, he was God's son. He was God, but he was also man. And the picture that chapter 26 paints for us with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane shows a very emotionally charged Jesus that sometimes we, we, we don't look at him in that perspective. Jesus was not an intergalactic robot that just came to earth and was doing what he was supposed to do. There was feelings. There was emotion. This portion of Scripture is known as the passion of the Christ. And this is what we see. We see the passion of God-made man and the process that he had to go through, just like we all have to go through. The title of today's message is Passion, and I want to ask you a question. What do you think of when you hear the word passion? I apologize regularly for getting loud. I, I had to ask them to turn me down in the first service because it was loud, and then I was getting really loud. But I apologize one time, and somebody came up to me after service and said, Pastor Tim, please stop apologizing for getting loud because we know that it's your passion. And if there's one thing that I get really fired up about, you guys probably know, it's the Word of God. The Word of God is the be-all, end-all of everything. We can stake everything in our lives on the Word of God and never be disappointed. So if there's anything that we should be getting passionate about, it's God's Word. We have the answers, right? You guys, we have the answers. We have the solution. We can take it to the world and give it to them. And we're going to look at two different responses or, or two different ways that, that we, an emotionally charged situation that we, that we convey what we feel. There's a response. We talked about this back in March when things started getting crazy. There's a response, but there's also a reaction. When you react to something, it's, it's like a knee-jerk reaction. It's, it's not something that you process very much. It's just something that you do. A response is, is thought out. 
based on facts and what's happening and what you know to be true. We as Christians, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we have to slow down, stop, process the information so that we can respond well, so that we're not reacting. We as believers, when we react, we make God look bad. Why? Because we make it seem like he doesn't know what he's doing and we're trying to figure it out too. He knows what he's doing. He said it all, and, and no matter what, if, if, it's, if it's something that happens today or something that's going to happen tomorrow or in the future, God is aware of it. He's given us provision in his word to be secure in it, and we can trust that he's going to bring his perfect will to pass. That's where we get that confidence. It's in our response to who God is and his goodness to us. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through this portion of Scripture, and in the end I have 11 points that I'm going to cover with you through these Scriptures. We're not going to those, you know, we're not one of those lightweight churches that do have two or three points, okay? we got 11, and if anybody gets an attitude, I'm going to go to 20. So I'm sure we can whip out another nine somewhere. Each one of these situations is connected to Jesus setting the stage how we respond or how we react based on, listen to me, based on how we feel. Because God created you to have emotion. He created you to have emotion. He wants you to have emotion. But he also wants you to respond well when the tribulation comes and not react like you don't know what's going on. You've heard somebody say, you know, I feel this way or I feel, well, be careful about your feelings. Yeah, be careful, but still it's okay. God made you to have feelings. And one of the most beautiful things in Scripture is what we're going to look at this morning in chapter 26, how Jesus responded through his feelings. And he responded well. And it's a picture for us to do the same as well, but to, to trust and to lean on him fully for our assurance, and our calling. Starting in verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me tonight. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have not created us to be robots that have no emotion and have no feeling. You've created us in your image and you've given us different ways that we can respond and working through emotional experiences. God, we want to be like you in that our security is in Jesus at the cross and, and even in his burial and his resurrection. You know what's to come. You know what you're doing. You're allowing us to go through the process and we want to be healthy emotionally to have answers and give guidance and direction to those who are around us who are just reacting. Father, speak to us through your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know the world is reacting right now. You guys understand that. Verse 32, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Okay. Peter's having a feeling. Is it okay to have feelings about certain things? 
yes, it's okay. But did Peter just respond to what Jesus said, or did Peter react? Peter reacted. He says, no way. You say that now, Jesus, but just you wait and see. Everybody else is going to fall away, but I'm still going to be here. He's talking to Jesus, right? Jesus responds and says to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, I always want to put a Peter in there, you know, like when you're talking to your kids. <laughs> Assuredly, I say to you this night, Peter, but he doesn't say it, sorry. Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Were his intentions good? Yeah. What did he have? He had some kind of confidence. But it was ill-founded because Jesus already told him what was going to happen. So therefore, instead of trusting what Jesus said and following him in that, he re reacts and then he's corrected. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to, uh, and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. You guys, let, let those words sink in a little bit. The Son of Man the Son of God, says that he's so full of sorrow that he'd almost rather die than deal with what he's going to have to deal with. You see the emotional toll that this is taking on Jesus, how it's affecting him, and you also see his response. Does Jesus react to how he feels? Jesus has feelings? Jesus has feelings. And does Jesus react in those feelings or does Jesus respond in those feelings? What do you guys think? He responds. Question, how does he respond? He goes and prays. See, in your circumstance, the, the, the tendency, the pull may be to react and fix it and figure it out, right? But Jesus says, all right, having a really hard time right now. This is Jesus Christ. Having a really hard time right now. Come with me, you guys. Come, let's go over here. And he says, you guys stay here and pray. I'm going to go spend some time in prayer too. But he says, stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said, Peter, and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then we have our next scenario. Remember I said there's 11, okay? How, do, uh, how are the disciples feeling? They're feeling tired. They're feeling fatigued. 
probably physically, probably mentally, psychologically. Jesus is telling them one thing. They're saying that they're going to do something else. It's a heavy situation. It's very emotionally emotionally charged, and everybody's feeling it. What happens? They give up. They fall asleep. They don't fight through. What did Jesus say? Watch and pray. And what's the next thing he says to them? He says, you guys, wake up. Couldn't you stay with me for one hour and pray so that you do not fall into temptation? Interesting. What do you think the temptation that Jesus was referring to was about? Well, he said two things, didn't he? He said, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. If you're continuing to engage in the spirit, you will not be tempted. But if you give into the flesh, there's an influence, a direction that you're going, whatever it could have been for them. But you know, for me, I think it goes a little bit deeper. I think that the temptation that Jesus was talking about was also the reason that he was praying, right? Jesus is praying so that he doesn't fall into temptation, and he tells them to pray so they don't fall into temptation. But what in the world could Jesus be tempted to do? What do you guys think? Well, had Jesus ever been tempted before? He had. And what was the temptation? What did it look like? It looked like Satan saying to him, listen, if you bow down and serve me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth. I'll take care of everything. You'll have absolute authority. And he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, I'll have no part of it. And now we find Jesus in another portion of Scripture. We know that he's so taxed emotionally, mentally, that he's sweating drops of blood. The Hebrew says that he resisted sin to the point of bloodshed. And there's some people that will say that it's even a medical condition, that you're so overwhelmed He's praying so fervently that he's, he's sweating drops of blood. So what do you think the temptation for Jesus is? I'll tell you what I think it is. And it's directly connected to what he prays to God. He said, oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus is wrestling with the, with the question that we all wrestle with on a daily basis. My will or thy will? If there's any other way, what can I do to get out of this situation that I'm in? Reacting could make Jesus do something that he would regret later. And I I get it. We're talking about Jesus. So he can't sin, right? He can't make the wrong decision. But he was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. And I've had some people push back on me, you know, through the years. They say, Tim, Jesus didn't lose his mother at, at 56, and, and it, Jesus didn't lose a child, and Jesus didn't go through this. Listen, Jesus went through whatever it took you to get to that place of difficulty and emotional tor- torment. Jesus went through the same and even more so than you and still did not sin. He says, okay, Father, what your will is is what I'll do. And this is what I've heard the gospel preached for many years from many people. This is what I've heard, and I've said this before, and and hear me out. I know it'll make your ears perk up at first, but hear me out. Jesus does not, did not love you so much that he went to the cross to die for your sins. 
That is a false statement that I've heard for many years that is not true. The Bible never says that. Jesus loved the Father so much that he was willing to lay down his life in obedience to the Father to reconcile you to the Father because God, God loves you so much. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What drove Jesus to the cross wasn't your cute little faces. We know that Jesus did have compassion. He did have love. He did care for people. But at the end of the day, when Jesus is being tempted to go forward or, or to get out of Dodge, the reason that he did it was full submission to the will of God. That is a beautiful thing. This is the, the major dilemma of humankind. My will or thy will. And Jesus, in his most destitute place, completely sorrow-filled, makes the decision of thy will. Even though it's going to be hard, even though I don't want to do it. Have you ever had to do something that you didn't want to do before? Man, I had to do this one thing I really, 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 really didn't want to do. Like, it's a definite call-in sick day. You know what I mean? Even as a pastor... I'm not feeling well, guys. Uh, Pastor Sean's going to head over there in a few minutes and take care of it for you, okay? It's absolute. I was sorrow-filled leading up to the, doing the thing that I had to do. And I had a men's group, and I said, hey, we're in the men's group on Monday night. I said, guys, I'm going to be honest. Let me be real with you. I really don't want to do this, and I know that I have to, and I know that it's God's will. So will you guys fast tomorrow? all day with me, Tuesday. Let's pray and fast for me because I'm selfish. I need help in doing this thing. And they all agreed and all the guys, we all prayed and fasted. And then, and then that day came and I woke up in the morning and you know when you have to do something and the day comes and you're like, ugh, it's today. Well, I woke up, to, uh, I woke up Wednesday morning and I was like, completely at peace, like unexplainable, looking forward to doing that thing, which sounded crazy, huh? But God, because of, of a response in prayer and seeking Him, provides for what's needed to do what He's called us to do. He's called you to do difficult things. He's going to give you the resources to do it and to get through it well. He is sleeping for. The spirit is welling, but the flesh is weak. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time. Saying the same words, then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with the great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Notice with me, I, I want to draw your attention back to, are you still sleeping and resting? I... I, I saw a definition of laziness recently that really struck a chord with me. 
And I never heard it put in this light before, like when it comes to the sin of laziness. But laziness is knowing what you're supposed to do and either not doing it or just putting it off indefinitely. You guys just resting? Not doing anything? Not praying? Not responding? But reacting in the flesh, being given over to the flesh and going to sleep. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him immediately. He went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Jesus says to him, friend. Judas was in an emotional state as well, wasn't he? We saw last week that he wasn't happy with the way things were going down with Jesus. He disagreed with him. In essence, he left to betray him. What was Judas's, what did he communicate? Was it a response or was it a reaction? Well, it's a trick question. Think about it. Judas's was more of a response because he knew what he was doing. He had been thinking. He, pl- he made a plan. So, even in a bad choice, in an unhealthy way, or something that he could have done in an unhealthy way, he does in a healthy way, but it's still, it's still the wrong thing. He's missing the point. He's missing what Jesus was communicating to him. And they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Who was that? Does anybody know? Shout it out. Peter! You know why Peter's not in there? Because Matthew's starting to feel bad when he's writing this, and he's like, I just keep writing about how much Peter's screwing everything up. Let's just say somebody cut his ear off. He pulled a Mike Tyson. And of, 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 of all the things that he could have done, you know, I mean, it would be harder for you or for me to cut somebody's ear off than to actually impale them or hit them in the body somewhere. You know, Jesus was like, man, you could have cut his head off. That would have been a more dramatic miracle. I could have fused them back together and, you know. But his ear, Peter? Come on. Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. What, was, what did Peter do? Was it a response or was it a reaction? It's a reaction. So it's preservation for our group, for Jesus. This isn't going to happen. I promised that I would not be stumbled or fall away, and I'll do whatever I need to do to make that happen. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Now look at this verse in light of Jesus just being in the garden, sweating blood, praying to God for any other way. And he has this power and authority at his disposal. 12,000 legions of angels, just like that. He says, no, I, I submitted my will to the Father, and this is what's supposed to happen so that the Scriptures can be fulfilled. Take note of that because we're going to read it again right now in 56. In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me, but all this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Now, this is not just fulfillment of prophecy, guys. It is. It's absolutely was 
was preordained by God that this was supposed to happen on this night with Jesus Christ. But this also speaks to something else, even to something greater. Everything is known. Everything that you go through in your life, it's so that it may be fulfilled of what God has destined for you, ordained for you. And I'm not saying that that you have no freedom to function in that calling. Obviously, you can respond or you can react. But the things that are happening are happening because they're supposed to. When you go through difficulty in life, when you respond or react, it's based on knowing that He knows what tomorrow holds. I may not know, but He knows. Therefore, I can respond in knowing that He's in charge. I trust Him, and He knows where I'm going. Even sometimes when I don't know where I'm going, He knows. Be submitted to Him and walk in the Spirit, and then you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Then all the disciples forsook Him and fled, also fulfilling what Jesus had spoken. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led Him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed Him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Which is not what Jesus said. That's why they're a false witness, because Jesus said, Destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. So they come and lie, but I wanted you to stop for a moment because we're looking at how this is emotionally affecting everybody tonight, not just Jesus, right? So how do the scribes and Pharisees, what are their emotions? And do they respond or do they uh, react? It's another trick one because they have already decided, they respond, they've been reasoning how to kill Jesus. And remember, Last week, when we talked about Judas, how Judas had walked through all those things with you know, Jesus walking on the water and the calming of the storm and the healing and, and the casting out of demons and all those things that Judas personally experienced. And then maybe it wasn't to that degree of intimacy for the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, but they, they also saw a lot of the miracles and the things that Jesus did. Remember, the, 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 I think one of my favorite ones, they're all my favorite is the, the cripple's hand. You can't heal on this. Dude, his hand just came back together. Are you serious? They had hardened their hearts and they had reasoned in themselves to murder Jesus Christ. So while it was a bad decision, at least it was done in a healthy manner. If they re reacted and stoned him right there, then they would feel the repercussions of their actions. But they're trying to go about it in a way that they themselves don't get in too much trouble. And the high priest rose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Now let's pause there for a second, because now Jesus is in an, uh, again, still in an emotional ordeal where he has the high priest yelling in his face, these are the charges! Why don't you answer? And what did Jesus say? Jesus, remember we talked about one of the points last week, is the smartest guy ever. 
He always knows what to say. He always says things perfectly. And, and th this moment that Jesus could say anything, what does he say? He says nothing. He says nothing. Do you think this, in this emotional experience that Jesus is having and how he's feeling, do you think that this is a response or a reaction? You know the answer. It's a response to him trusting what God is doing and taking him through the process. You don't know. Jesus could have said anything, and he says nothing. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, he, he, remember the high priest says that he puts him under oath. He has to respond. He has to answer by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we need have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? The high priest, is he responding now or is he reacting? Now he's reacting. He's, he's creating emotional fervor. He's ripping his clothes. Look at this guy. He's stirring the crowd up. Let's kill this guy. And they answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat on his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? The multitudes who are beating and spitting on him. Now, what did they do with the information that was presented? Are they responding to it or are they reacting to it? They're, yeah. I mean, a couple guys standing in the back saying, I don't know, let's think about this for a minute. You know, we're going to kill the guy. Nobody. They're all on board. Very emotionally charged. You notice the things that people do in very emotionally in charged, charged environments? They do one of two things. You guessed it. They respond or they react. You know what you guys are called to be? You guys are called as his church to be first responders. You know? You arrive on the scene calm, in control. You know what you have to do to save this person's life. You go through the process and you do the best you can with what you've been equipped with. That's what you are called to do in every situation as a child of God. How would you think of that paramedic? Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Here, uh, give him CPR. No, that's not where you, suplex, suplex. No, you'd be like, dude, get out of here. I locked my kid in the car one time. I've done it actually multiple times. I didn't want to confess that to you. But one time, one of the kids was locked in the car, and it was in the summer, and it was getting hot, and we couldn't get the door open. We're like, we're going to, you know, we're going to smash the window. And I'm like, but windows are expensive. And I love my kid, but you can always have another kid. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's just a joke between Grace and I and close friends, okay? You can always have another kid. So what did I do? I know, I'm, I'm a horrible person. I called, the, I called 911 and said, my kid's locked in the car. I don't want to break my window. So here they come tearing around, and these, fire, these firemen come up, and you, should, you know, you see in your mind's eye, these guys look amazing, and they're just walking up. How can we rescue your child today? And I'm like, well, she's right there, bro, and you got and what they had to do was they had to get, they got a, 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 they didn't even have any special things in their truck. They got this like 
you know, the, the hanger, and they bent it, and they got it inside, and the way that the truck worked, they could unlock it, but Toyotas are so smart that as soon as it was unlocked, it would relock because of the proximity of the key, right? So they were unlocking it, but we still couldn't get the door open, and they're super chill, they're just calmly, one of them has the handle, and one of them's pushing the button, and they're in sync as fast as they can. Okay, okay, go. Okay, go. And they try to line it up. Uh, uh, uh. And then finally, click, and the door opened. And like nothing, they're like, hope you guys have a nice day. <laughs> you know, and they go, and they get in their fire truck, whoop, whoop, and they drive away. First responders. You guys are not called to reaction. You're not called to trying to figure things out. That's what reacting is, right? It's trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. You know what to do. I know what to do. Be a responder. Now, Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. When he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Is it an understatement to say that this is, I've said it before, I'm, you know, a few times this study, that this is a very emotionally taxing exchange? And, and Peter's being confronted, and now look at, look at what reaction looks like. It looks like denial, it looks like swearing. It looks like cussing. You know somebody who cusses a lot? I know people, I used to be a truck driver, and there was people that would, that they would get creative of how colorful their language could be. Do you know why they're, they talk like that? Because they're reactionary, and they want to get a reaction out of other people. Blip, 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 blip. Whoa, what, what, what's happening here? They're not responding working through what's, what's going on. Immediately, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus, the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. What is the concluding emotional response in our text this morning? Peter's weeping. And I'm not even going to ask you the question. I would submit to you that this is a response. It's an understanding. It's not a reaction. It's a broken realization that Jesus is who he said he was, and, and the things that he said are, that are going to happen are going to happen, and Peter is not above that. As much as he would like to be, as much as you and I would like to be, in certain seasons of our life, in certain circumstances or situations. Figure it out. Work it out. But the correct response is in submission to the will of God because He has worked it out. It's worked out. 
Look at our 11 points in closing that we're going to go over. This is for application purposes so that you guys can, can remember them. And, and for your pleasure, they all start with the letter D. And it took me and Grace a few minutes last night to finish this. I have to give her credit. She helped me with some of the ones that were stumping me. Number one, Peter was determined. First D. Even if all were made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. What was that? A reaction or response? Reaction. I'm not going to do that. He was determined that he would respond a certain way when, in fact, he was reacting. Number two, distressed. Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful, but what was his response? Prayer. So he could process things. Was he being tempted? Yeah, he was. But he was taking it to the throne. He's saying, God, it, he didn't even threaten God, obviously, but he said, he said, God, if there's any other way, if you can't see the depth of humanity in Jesus through that prayer, I don't know what's going to do it for you. If there's any other way, I really don't want to do this. Jesus' response. Number three, distracted. That's something that happened. They were distracted, and, and, and how were they distracted? They weren't engaged in the moment in doing what Jesus told them to do. They were sleepy. Have you ever just checked out mentally? Psychologically, I'm tired, I'm done, I don't even want to think about it anymore, I'm going to go take a nap. That's what they did. They got distracted. And when you're not walking in the Spirit, you're easily getting distracted? It's a reaction. It's a reaction connected to directly to the flesh. Number four, detachment. You ever detach yourself from somebody? This is what Judas did. He said, you're not, you're not uh, pushing what I'm looking for anymore. I stuck around for a long time, and now he distances himself. And he goes and he gets his enemies and colludes with them how they can murder Jesus. It's a response, though, isn't it? Because even though it's the wrong decision, he's been thinking and planning this for a long time. And Jesus still let him be with them. Number five, denial. Peter, in denial, cuts off the servant's ear, saying, this is not happening. Have you ever done that in your life before? It's like God's taking you into a season and it's difficult and you're like, this is not happening, God. And he's like, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. No, it's not. I'm going to do whatever I can to go ahead and try. However many ears you lop off, I'm going to put them right back on. And we can be in a place of denial, not accepting on an emotional level what God is trying to teach us and bring us through. Number six. Oh, it's a reaction. Thanks, Grant. Number six, desperate. They were desperate to kill Jesus. Isn't that mind-boggling? In, in their emotional state, they were willing to do anything in desperation to catch him so that they can murder him. What was that? It was a response. It was a response of full rejection of who Jesus said he was. And they got him exactly where that was the, was the key that he was the Son of God. And it is super ironic, isn't it, that the, the confession of him being the Son of God in truth was what they used to condemn him. It wasn't even false. It was true. 
Number seven, dependent. You know, I've said this a few times over the last six months. Some, some of y'all, I'm not, I will do this again. I'm not going to look out into the crowd because people say, you looked at me when you, no, I'm just looking around, but I'll close my eyes so that if the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, it's all Him. Some of you just need to keep your mouths shut and you know who you are. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world right now and everybody's got an opinion about it. And sometimes if you know how to respond because you know God is who He says He is and He's going to take care of you, then stop talking. Just let things go the way that they're supposed to. And there Jesus is standing, could have said anything in the world, but He didn't because He's dependent on God. He's dependent on God's plan, what God called him to do, God's purposes in this situation. And there's no need for me to say anything because it's going to be fulfilled. Number eight, demonstrative. This was the high priest that tore his clothes, I would say, um, purposefully to stir up an emotional, elicit an emotional response from the crowd. Ah! That's what happens when, when, when Hulk Hogan did it, right? The whole crowd goes crazy. Hulk's ripping his yellow shirt off. Reaction. That wasn't planned, but it really went well, fed well into what they were trying to do to incite the crowd. Number nine, derisive. Derisive is to do what they do. Struck him, spit on him, deride him. And what was that? Was that a reaction or a response? It was a reaction. It was solicited again by the, the leaders. Number 10 is denial too because it's come full circle now. The first time we talked about denial with Peter, it was Peter denying what Jesus said was going to happen. Now it's a fulfillment of that. He still denies, but it's a fulfillment and it's a reaction by him. And then lastly, number 11, defeated. And what is that? That is a response. He responded. He knew what he had done was wrong. He had not taken Jesus' word at face value for what it was. And now he's in a place where he's broken. A good place to be, by the way. In an emotional state of brokenness and submission. And then we see the beautiful picture of Peter's restoration on the Sea of Galilee. And I just think that it's the, in the Gospel of John, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of, 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 of a leader leading a man into his own pride. No, not, not, not intentionally, but Jesus showing Peter, this man, in, into his own pride determination. What was going to happen would be the opposite. And then when he's broken and on the ground, Jesus picks him up. And what does he do? He entrusts him with, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Take care of them. Now you go, Peter. In the Spirit of God and in my direction, you go. I hope that we all make this connection this morning, guys, and that we take this out with us this week. This is, uh, I'm really excited because this is what the home groups are going to be talking about on Wednesday when you guys get, gather together. You're going to be looking at the same portion of Scripture, and you're going to be able to not just listen to me for 45 minutes or an hour. You're going to dive deeper. You're going to ask questions. You can give examples. Well, this is the situation that I found myself in on Monday right after Tim said that thing about me reacting, and then I reacted again. 
And then there's time for repentance and restoration and working through who God's called you to be. And who has he called you to be? He's called you to be a first responder, not a reactor. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the holiness of your word, that it's alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, and that piercing to the bone and marrow, God. And that you can sow your word into our lives and that it produces fruit and that your word to us today would take root and it would spring forth and bear fruit. Father, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, that you would empower them with your Holy Spirit this week to be first responders. Take captive the opportunity every moment to shine your light, to love well, greatly, and represent you.